0: Thanks for downloading Making Waves from the University of Portsmouth. I'm Trudy Monk and in my day job I champion and support the incredible alumni of our university. We're really proud of our graduate community and how they're making their mark and finding solutions to global challenges. These interviews showcase how our alumni are making positive changes in their businesses, communities and careers. In this first series, we're focusing on the environment. What our alumni are doing in this space goes hand in hand with what the university is doing to ensure an environmentally sustainable future, including making the bold commitment to being climate positive by 2030. By empowering our community and coming together, we know we can make a huge difference. In this episode, my colleague John Worsey speaks to Georgia Elliott-Smith about balancing her work as a sustainability consultant in the property sector, with her role as an environmental activist. It might seem an unlikely fit, but Georgia is showing the way for people who want to remain passionate advocates for the planet, whilst also forging careers in a corporate setting. From property consultancy to a short stint as a screenwriter, Georgia's work places activism at the heart of what she does. This is Making Waves.
1: So I am joined by Portsmouth alumna Georgia Elliott-Smith. Hello, Georgia. You graduated 22 years ago, back in 1998. What are you doing? (laughs) Let's start with the present. What are you doing with your life today?
2: Okay, so I'm Managing Director of Element 4 Group, um, I'm a sustainability consultant in industry, primarily in property and construction but also to other industries as well um, and I'm a UNESCO Special Envoy for Youth and the Environment and an environmental campaigner as well, so quite busy. <laughs> yeah,
1: it sounds like it. So let's let's start with um, your role as a sustainability consultant then. Um, uh, and you said that's specifically or predominantly within uh, property. Um, so w- what sort of issues are you being consulted on?
2: well i I work for clients like you know big corporates or government clients, so Nike, Bank of England are current clients of mine, and I work on their property. Um, Usually, that's how clients come to me. Uh Um, So I work with architects, design teams, contractors and so on, trying to make the property more environmentally friendly and also um, better for people as well because, you know, we spend 90% of our time indoors, probably even more right now (laughs) in the middle (laughs) of the COVID (laughs) lockdown. Um, And, you know, the, the quality of our internal environments really significantly impacts people's health and mm. well-being and so that's been a really growing part of my work um, over recent years as well.
1: Right and is it does it tend to be that you're largely consulting on how to adapt existing buildings or is it a mixture of doing adaptations and then informing the development of new builds?
2: So it's it's everything to do with development. Right. Um, I work on um, big base build developments you know so from the ground up I work on master planning schemes so at the moment I'm working on a um a big student campus development and we're looking at everything to do with student life and right. um sustainability so you know it can be that or it can be an office fit out project sure. you know um it it ranges in scale
1: so since we're uh, since we're a university uh, conducting this interview um it'd be really interesting actually to dig into that campus uh, that campus piece just to get a sense of the kind of considerations uh, that, that you would look at then so what what sort of factors are you taking into account when you're looking at how to make a, a campus development sustainable
2: gosh so so many things um we look you know from the detail about um indoor environmental quality so things like the quality of the air and yeah. the daylight Um, And even things like the nutritional options that are available, you know, waste management as well on site, but then larger issues like uh, mental health, community, um, ways in which uh, people are brought together, you know, are there spaces for people to break out or, you know, from intense social activity Uh into more quiet space um the range is huge and then things like transport as well and how people are getting around site and whether leisure um amenities are available so we can we go from the real micro level up to real macro um issues in society as well
1: what would you say best practice looks like now in uh that sort of a a space where people are coming together uh, whether it's to study or to work in terms of having spaces and places that are that are sustainable and also good for our well-being you know uh, is there a sort of a top five features that you uh, think are uh, almost the most important ones
2: Gosh! Right, you can be thinking on my toes. Yes, that's
1: a big question. So I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to get you to sum sum up twenty years of expertise in uh, in a a, a quick uh, listicle.
2: <laughs> you know, one one massive area that I'm fascinated by at the moment, and I'm, I'm working with um, working on with some clients is passive house standards, and so trying to make buildings inherently more energy efficient um, but also healthy for occupants because so let me go back a step so passive house is a standard which um is about making sure that buildings are really well insulated and there's no leaking of energy out of the buildings uh-huh. um, because we do have you know a history of creating quite poor quite leaky buildings yeah. which isn't great in a climate emergency you know we want to try and the energy we put into buildings we want to try and make it as efficient as possible so there's some really great work going on about um, you know, making sure that buildings are as energy efficient as they can be. And then loads of exciting stuff going on with energy as well and ge- uh, self-generating energy, um, all kinds of new technologies, which I get quite geeky about and I love. Um, and I also think like for an educational um establishment that can be brilliant because it can feed into all those courses like the sort of course I did. I was an environmental engineering student at Portsmouth. Um, You know, and there's I think there's nothing quite like seeing something actually living and breathing, you know, in your own campus to bring it to life. Um, And then other things as well, you know, I I think some of the softer issues to do with property that people haven't traditionally thought a lot about but are incredibly important, like acoustics, um, you know, having the wrong acoustics in a space can be incredibly distracting or it can make people feel very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of work going into great acoustics in space. And daylight, you know, the... We know now that um, being connected to natural daylight is incredibly powerful. It regulates our hormones, it regulates our appetite, it helps us sleep better. And so there's a real movement in building now to try and encourage more light into the space and also encourage people to get out of buildings more frequently as well and have walking meetings or whatever it might be.
1: That sounds, it sounds like such a fascinating area to work in. And I mean, obviously you've mentioned a few of the clients. So this is, this is clearly something that's getting, by the sound of things, quite broad uh, buy-in across sectors at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. So Element 4 then is your is your vehicle for doing that. Is, is that the, the specialism of the company as a whole?
2: Yeah. So Element 4 is a business that I set up originally in 2003. Um, and... Yeah, you know, and since then I've been working for all kinds of clients, you know, a huge spectrum. I've um, for DEFRA as well on their property portfolio uh-huh. across the UK um, and for some big development firms and also smaller companies as well. But um, it's been a really interesting uh, career because I think over the years when I first started, you know, the, the course I did at Portsmouth, I think it it might, it was one of the only courses in the country in environmental engineering yeah. um and so you know it felt quite groundbreaking at the time and i at the time i was at portsmouth i was sponsored by a construction company which is really the reason i went into construction in the first place right okay um yeah and it was um i was the first ever environment manager for that company it was bovis which is now lendlease um and i was the first environment manager they had ever employed so I was one of the first you know environment managers in uk construction industry wow. um and now it, it's a completely different industry you know it's much more sophisticated there's a huge amount of work and obviously you know i'm also an environmental campaigner i um, i'm an activist with extinction rebellion and I, I do lots of other things like that and it's you know over the, the last 25 years There's been a massive sea change in the industry and, you know, in public perception as well.
1: Yes. And I think just picking up on that point about Extinction Rebellion, there's so much to go into in what you've said, but um, I find it, I think it's really interesting how around the climate emergency in particular, uh, that sort of activism is really kind of being embraced by large organisations in a way that perhaps in the past it, it would have sat kind of uneasily with you being a managing director and a consultant and someone who's working at a very high level in all kinds of businesses at the same time as being part of an activist movement you know in the same way that here at the University of Portsmouth we were very openly encouraged to go and take time out from the office to go and join uh some of those climate uh, protest is the wrong word, but essentially the, um, the 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 public gatherings to express a sense mm-hmm. of yeah, you know, we think this is really important, and we want yeah. to show our uh, you know our local authority and and uh, government more broadly that that this is something that we want people to get behind. I think it's really interesting how the kind of ground has shifted around the perception of what an activist is, and now an activist actually can be. Uh, you know, it's it's come a long way from that sort of early '90s perception of an activist as is, um, uh, you know, uh, a dreadlocked hippie standing in a tree so that the bulldozer right. can't uh, build its bypass. And, and now, you know, anybody who cares about something uh, and is able to make a case for change can be an activist. Um, I think yeah. I, that you know that's a really interesting sort of. Social and cultural shift that's come alongside. Obviously, the shift that you've seen in that that 17 year journey from joining uh, Bovis as was as as really kind of a pioneering role. Um, and it sounds like you've you've gone on to continue to be able to pioneer within that sector as mm-hmm. capabilities have grown and as understanding has changed and as it's become just something that is broadly agreed upon and understood i mean it it made me um almost cry recently when um I, I'm, I'm sitting here in my um, edwardian terraced house uh during uh, the working from home lockdown period uh and uh, i was speaking to some friends of ours who've moved into a new build house uh recently uh up in glasgow and um they were telling me what their energy bills were like over the winter and it was just It was just extraordinary to me how little they were paying for a properly insulated new build compared Mm. to what we have to fork out for, you know, the joys of living with authentic ceiling roses and um, all of that (laughs) sort of thing. You know, aesthetically, it's a lot nicer, but uh, my God, it costs...
2: Yes yeah you're absolutely right i mean it's interesting what you say about the um the change in perceptions about activism you know I think that I've had some interesting discussions with um various you know friends and acquaintances and and clients as well um about my activism and I think that there is you know i'm i'm I took a decision last year to be very open about my activism and about mm. my stance. And actually the, the sort of strap line for my business element Four is disruptive sustainability right. because having worked in the sector for so long, I have seen the power of greenwash, you know, and the fact that actually it is a fact corporate sustainability has failed. It's failed utterly in its objectives because, you know, it, it if it hadn't have failed we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in if corporate sustainability had succeeded we would not be protesting and so i am very open about my stance and that i don't support greenwash and that i won't tolerate it and i won't propagate it mm. and and so i have found and that was quite a scary decision to make because lots of other environmental consultants don't want to upset the apple cart you know they want to work for any client that will employ them you know and of course they've got their reasons for that but i made that decision a year ago and i've had people advise me against it and say well actually you know you shouldn't you shouldn't be so vocal and and ruffle feathers but actually what i think has happened and i hope is that it because it's what i do for a living and it's who i am as a person it is I think the clients that I have, well, I know because I've had these conversations with them, they understand that authenticity and they Mm. respect it. Even if they personally don't have the same viewpoint, they are really happy that the person that they're paying to take them on that journey is somebody who genuinely will do the best job that they can do because they're personally invested in it. So a lot of people don't take the stance of activism. You know, they still shy away from it, but it's something that I... I decided was in really important in my story.
1: Yeah, and I, I wonder how common of an experience that could potentially be if people were I hesitate to, to use the word brave, but there is a bravery in in being able to, um, I think, just come out so openly uh, about that level of engagement with issues. I, I wonder if actually it would be it would be more broadly welcomed than than perhaps people think. I think the world is changing in that regard. Mm. Um, I think it
2: is, yeah. And I think that the more people talk about these things, this is what I encourage amongst everyone I come across, is to talk about it, you know, the things that are important to you, because the more, it's like the conversation around mental health, you know, the more we talk about these things, the less of a stigma there is. And the more that organisations, you know, whether they be government bodies or corporates, um, the more that they feel empowered to do something about it and see that there's a movement going on in society. So I think just having the conversation is so important to normalise it.
1: Very much so. And I think, you know, here here at at the University of Portsmouth, I I don't know if you you probably haven't been um, uh, keeping up since you graduated with our our, uh, sort of corporate strategies and so on. But um, at the moment, uh, so we're in 2020 now and we've, we've recently unveiled the kind of 10-year vision. F- and by 2030, part of that is about becoming a carbon-positive university. It's not just carbon-neutral, but carbon-positive.
0: Oh, and right.
1: that's, you know, it's it's obviously very ambitious. It's going to take all kinds of change. Um, and in tandem with that, we, we've got a big initiative uh, that's launching recently, which is kind of bringing together... Um, a lot of groundbreaking research uh, with international collaboration, with business collaboration, with community activism. Um, It's called Revolution Plastics. And it's about, um, I think it's the right sort of answer to the question of plastics because it's not doing that, as you've said, the greenwashing thing of falling into the trap of simply saying you know well plastic is just bad so we're just not going to have plastic you know a lot of businesses now we don't have plastic maybe we'll have glass packaging instead but you know if you actually weigh up environmentally the uh the impact you know glass is heavier the production processes and so on in some respects it's not as good for the environment as plastic is as long as plastic is used and disposed of sensibly so revolution plastics is there are lots of strands to it, it really it's about creating a sustainable plastics economy. Uh, so it's it's about ensuring basically that uh, recycling is improved, that people don't just throw it away, uh, that the quality is there, it's used properly. Um, and at the same time as that, it's taking quite an ambitious stance on working with the local authority here in Portsmouth, working with the community to help Portsmouth transform into a global showcase for a sustainable plastics future, you know, a, a, a city that can show we're densely populated, we're an island, we've got all sorts of geographical challenges, uh, but we can make this work. And it's sort of that thing of if, if, if a city like us, one of the most densely populated in Europe, can make these changes work, then certainly anywhere in the developed world c- can do this. And again, you know, that's such a bold... Thing to be doing uh, to 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 say right, we're going to make our university carbon positive, and we're going to transform the city into a global beacon for sustainability. And the reason that those kind of things are possible is because the university will go out and and ask the staff what they want, and the staff say we want to be more ambitious, uh, and that's why we end up with the, with these kind of goals is because it is being driven by people uh, who want to be part of something that's really, really progressive and bold and is and is going really kind of as far as you possibly can. So I, I think I can see that just growing and it, obviously it's going to have to in the context of the climate emergency. You know, it is an emergency, so action needs to be taken. It needs to be taken quickly and the mm. steps need to be big, don't they? Yeah,
2: yeah we've got, you know, the, the, I feel like we have been burying our head in the sand as a as a civilization for a very long time about this. And I think, you know, every year that we delay taking action, mm. those actions have to become more intense and they have to be done quicker. And, yeah. you know, it's, so the sooner we act, the, the better it is for everybody. And I also think there's an incredible story and incredible energy around acting responsibly and and demonstrating that and bringing people on board. And, you know, I really do feel like community will save the world because these these ideas, getting people together, you know, every company, every organisation is made up of people. And people generally as a rule want to come home from work feeling like they've done a really great thing and want to be able to tell their kids about the great stuff that they're doing Mm -hmm. and feel good about the way that they earn a living and i think you know that is a fantastic energy for organizations to tap into to you know for loyalty of staff and um, stakeholders you know for investment i'm getting lots of clients coming to me saying our investors are asking questions about our stance on sustainability and Mm -hmm. ethics and you know corporate social responsibility and so you know the i say to people you know even if you don't feel um like you can confidently have a conversation about climate change because you don't know statistics on CO2 or methane or these sorts of things. Yeah. Just start asking questions. You know, ask questions of the companies you buy for, buy from, the places that you go to. You know, your your workplace, your your supermarket. Just ask. You know, what are you doing about plastics? What are you doing about climate change? You know, what are you doing about um, ethical supply chains? Yeah. And just see because. If you ask the question, the person that you ask it to, first of all, may not have the answer, but flagging it to them will demonstrate they don't have the answer and they might go and find out. And then secondly, although you're only one voice, you might be the 10th voice that week who's asked the same question, in which case these companies and organisations are going to go back to their managers and say, hang on a minute. You know, this is Mm. something's happening here and that's how we start to make change happen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so where did your passion for all of this stem from then, Georgia? I mean, I'm I'm guessing that with you having done an environmental engineering degree sponsored by a property company that were were then able to bring you in to make business more environmentally sustainable. I'm guessing that this uh, as an interest for you goes back quite a long way. Where, Where did it all stem from?
2: I don't know where I came from originally, but I have always been interested in sciences and I've been interested in the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it just it grew in me over a number of years. And when I was looking at going to university, it was something that just really appealed to me. You know, I, was, I, I did really love sciences um i, I love the idea of doing an engineering degree and i really loved environmental issues and so yeah. i kind of brought them together and, and did an environmental engineering degree and i honestly you know I, I didn't set out as thinking i was going to be an environmental activist or campaigner it just happened really right. as a yeah. as a kind of natural progression um but i think one really powerful thing that happened was um i went actually when i was at portsmouth i went on an expedition to antarctica um And as a result, became a UNESCO Special Envoy for Youth and the Environment. And so then um, went on this incredible journey, you know, both physically and figuratively. Learning about environmental issues, being really at the coalface, you know, and seeing lots of meeting incredible people and seeing lots of projects and things that were going on, but also going all over the place, talking to young people about protecting the environment and um, at the time, you know, the hole in the ozone layer and issues to do with global warming you know, we now say climate change rather than global yes, yes. warming, but you know the terminology's changed. But the the issues are still there, and you know, acid rain as well. You know, it's it's just these issues have been around for such a long time, yeah. and I've been really privileged to be part of it for, for many years.
1: What sort of work have you were you able to do um, with UNESCO then in that role as a youth and environment envoy? What what did that involve?
0: Um, well, it, it
2: involved going around and talking to loads and loads of young people. So talking at conferences, going to speak at schools, doing loads of presentations and lessons to kids. Um, yeah. And, and just teaching them about, um, what environmental issues were all about. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it was an interesting sort of time and it hasn't stopped really. I still, um, I, I set up a, a group called young entrepreneurs in property uh-huh. um again many years ago um and through that was able to then meet lots and lots of young people in various different stages of their careers and be able to sort of establish mentoring and um you know focus our events around environmental issues and so i've always been interested in trying to get normal people in their careers and whatever they're doing to consider these issues
1: yes so it's obviously it's obviously something that that you really value. Then the ability to be able to cha- I, I suppose sometimes it's about changing people's minds. Sometimes it's just about opening up people's eyes and and giving them new knowledge. Um, and equally, th- there's obviously a driver there somewhere about about actually whether it was your original intention or not. It, it, it sounds like you get a lot out of feeling like you are influencing change and making places and experiences better for people and for the planet. What, what, um, what would you, I'm, I'm hesitant to my, my, my brain is telling me to ask you what you want your legacy to be, but I think that's another really unfair, massive question. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's just question. because I think, I think it's to do with the nature of what we're talking about. It sounds like the sort of yeah. thing that should be summed up as a legacy, but I'm not going to ask you that. I, I But I would like to know, um, when you, when you, um, when you think about some of the work that you've done to date and maybe think about the kind of thing that you want to do from here, just what, what would you like to be different in the world as a result of that, uh, uh, of your, of your work? How would you like maybe people to behave or think differently? And how would you like places to be different?
2: Mm. Well, you know, one thing that keeps coming up for me and something I am really passionate about is trying to take sustainability out of the hands of experts Mm. and make it a common language that everybody can feel that they can participate in you know climate change is a is a crisis that is facing every single one of us and it needs us all to understand the gravity of it and to do something about it and that you know, it's hard to talk about that without it sounding incredibly depressing. And so I think it's a conversation that lots of people shy away from yeah. because there's, they don't have the language of positivity and empowerment to feel like they can make a change. It's something that's actually just easier to hide away from and focus on the day to day. You know, yes. we've all got stuff going on. You know, we've got to feed the kids and, you know, <laughs> look after the parents and get the shopping in and, you know there's hardly room in most people's days to think about the end of human civilization. You know, it's a really difficult thing to talk about. So I would really, you know, my, my whole mission is about when I work with corporates, if I walk up to somebody in a company, anybody, you know, on the office floor plate and say to them, what does your company do about sustainability? I would love them to be able to tell me rather than what always happens you know, is is that they say, I'll oh, go and talk to John or Sue, you know, they're the head of sustainability and yes. they'll be able to tell you. Right. And I think that that is so disempowering and and Sue or John is never going to be able to change the company's fortunes on their own, yeah. you know, and it's the same with communities. We We need everyone to understand what they can do and find a way of feeling invested in it so that it's, important to people you know and and not overwhelming but something that people feel they can they can make a difference and so I talk a lot to people about thinking about their their sphere of influence Mm. is this thing which I think is really important because one person on their own can do small things but those small things can add up to a huge amount and so what I mentioned before about using your influence as a consumer as a voter you know as a constituent it's you know I I these days get quite involved with um, councillors with MPs um, because what I realised from talking to my own MP is that MPs do read their mailbag you know they read their emails and they if they get one email about something they might ignore it but if they get or you know might get a cut and paste response but if they get 10 emails on the same topic that's enough for them to sit up and listen and think hang on a minute there's there's something going on there that I really need to pay attention to. Yes. Um, and 10, you know, the number 10, it's nothing, is it, when you think about the number of people in a constituency. But that is enough for an MP to, to really listen and to take it to Parliament. Yeah. And so, you know, and writing to your MP these days is so simple. You know, it takes no more than 10 seconds to Google who is my MP and what's their email address. And if you write a one-liner to your MP, that is, that's writing to your MP you know, that's logging your thoughts with them. And I think it's so important to, to get involved in processes like that.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and I mean, I can imagine a lot of um, people from the alumni community or even current students listening to this and feeling quite inspired uh, by what you're talking about. Is there a way that uh, students or, or alums can get involved in the work that you're doing uh, if they're feeling inspired?
2: Oh gosh, absolutely. I mean, I am involved in all sorts of campaigns and things at the moment, and also, obviously, my work with Element Four. So, I'm on Twitter. I'm yep. on LinkedIn. You know, anybody is more than welcome to contact me. Um, I'd be delighted to talk to Portsmouth people. So, yeah. What's That's your a... uh,
1: What's your Twitter handle?
2: Oh, it's at um, Georgia ES and then um, i'm georgia elliot hyphen smith on linkedin
1: lovely that's great thank you okay well prepare for prepare prepare for contacts georgia with <laughs> <Well>, that's <laughs> okay. fine that's um,
2: absolutely fine
1: I'd love to sort of turn the clock back a bit to your time at Portsmouth if we can. But before I do that, um, I'm I'm aware that you've got such a wide ranging career that uh, I, I don't want to sort of close that door if there's something else that you feel like we should be bringing out into the light. So is there anything that you want to talk about your your current work that we haven't covered already that you think would be worth mentioning right now?
0: Um.
2: Probably only that I did spend five years as a screenwriter, which might be, which is a bit of an odd turn of events. But yeah, I um, I took five years out of industry when I right. had children, uh-huh. and it kind of I got so it was so mind numbing. <laughs> You know, I love my children dearly, but it's not very intellectually challenging to be staying home looking after kids. So I trained as a screenwriter and worked in film and TV for a few years. So that was a a very interesting departure. Um, You know, as an industry, it, it definitely was not for me, but it was a brilliant, brilliant set of experiences and actually has been very powerful for me now because it really honed my writing skills yes. and made me I think a better communicator I was um, say, yeah. and also opened my mind to you know what other people do for livings as well.
1: Yes yeah <laughs> yes I was going to say I would imagine that would probably really help when it comes to being able to to advocate and make your make your case it's quite uh, it's quite a, uh, an important aspect not not just the writing but just the the, uh, the selling of ideas isn't it is um, is really mm. important in that world. Oh what an interesting diversion to have had
2: it was yeah it was it was very good, it was very exciting, very interesting, but um, I have to say that the the film world is It's just not for me. the The pace of it, the long hours—you know—it's it's really intense. So yeah, I was I was quite happy to go back to my sustainability and construction work.
1: Right, back to just back to changing the world. (laughs) It's just a much much easier job. (laughs) Much easier, (laughs) absolutely, to change the world than it is to sell a screenplay. I think that that is. potentially quite true if any screenwriters are listening to this I'm sure they'll be nodding (laughs) along with that um so yeah back back to Portsmouth then so that was so had the environmental engineering uh, degree course been running long when you came in do you know or were you sort of among the first cohort of students for that back in the um uh, mid-90s
2: I'm not certain but something in my mind says that I think it was a brand new course I think it might have been the first year that they ran it
1: yeah it's, but I,
2: I can be corrected on that.
1: Sure, sure. Was it, um, did did you come in with that sponsorship in place? I mean, was it, was it sort of advertised as a sponsored degree opportunity or did you kind of put that no. in place yourself?
2: No, I've always, I've, <laughs> I've always been somebody who just kind of, you know, thought outside the box a bit. So yeah. um, no, it was not a sponsored course at all. I had, you know, when I did my UCAS visits you know my applications and my visits Mm. to various different universities i went to a university open day at another university not portsmouth um, and the girl that was showing us around the campus she mentioned that she was sponsored by a utility company yeah and my ears pricked up and i was like what (laughs) what is this sponsorship thing that you speak of you know i've never heard of it and she just said oh yeah you know they loads of companies run this Uh, this deal where they sponsor you and they give you money and, you know, they give you a job. And of course I was, that was it sold. Right. So um, it was very late in the day and I just went home and basically just started writing letters to every company I could imagine in the engineering world. Right. Um, Big companies, you know, like Thames Water and United Utilities, you know, I don't know what it was back then, but all these big utilities and construction and engineering firms saying, hello, I'm fabulous, you, you really need me. And, um, <laughs> you yeah. know, just totally naively optimistic, you know, and sold myself to them. And I got a couple of offers. Yeah. Um, and though, even though both had, had closed their application window, they already had the full cohort of sponsees, largely at Loughborough University, actually. Right. Because there were particularly universities that they took most of their um, sponsees from. Yeah. Um, but they were really interested in the fact that I was um, doing an environmental engineering degree. And so they said, they called me into interview and they accepted me onto the programme. So I think it was definitely a case of optimism over, you know, being invited to do it. (laughs) I just kind of wrote loads of letters and um, I was actually accepted by both TFL and Bovis, but I decided in the end to go for the Bovis package, which obviously then led me into construction property. But, yeah. you know, had I been, had I taken the TFL offer, I would have potentially have been a very different
1: kind of career yeah, right. than Yeah, certainly. Yeah. yeah, there's a good lesson in that though, isn't there? You know, I get, and I guess it's particularly pertinent for people who are doing uh, newer, newer courses, uh, you know, if you're doing kind of one of the first of its kind, then, then that as an option, particularly now, because I guess you were studying uh, pre- tuition fees and student loans and all of that were well, not pre-student loans, but pre the necessity of having a student loan in most cases. Mm. Um, I
2: had, yeah, a small student loan, but my tuition fees, uh, fees were paid. Yeah. yeah.
1: So it's quite a, it's a different climate now, obviously, in which I I guess even more worthwhile pursuing those kind of opportunities. And I guess, mm. as you say, you know, the, the optimism and the determination and simply taking the time to write those letters probably demonstrates to a company quite a lot of what they want to see anyway to know that you're worth engaging with because you know what it's it's an entrepreneurial thing to do isn't it it's uh it's not terribly common I would have thought um but yeah certainly something for people to think about if they're at that stage uh in Absolutely. yeah
2: I advise the people that I mentor you know that you you don't you don't necessarily get the things that you want by asking permission you know and i think that if you see something that you want whether it's a job or a a company that you think is fabulous or an opportunity you know it does show a great deal like you say of entrepreneurialism and gumption really to to go for it and to demonstrate that you're passionate um and self-starting as well and i think that you know i've had some really funny experiences because i employ people and and have done employed many people over the years and it's rarely the best qualified people you know who that I'm interested in it's the ones who've got some personality and some um, passion and ability to communicate well you know that you can teach a lot of skills but there's some fundamental qualities that are really really difficult to teach and I think that's so important
1: yeah definitely um, on that note, uh, so obviously the course itself that you did at Portsmouth, the environmental engineering degree, and the fact that you had that sponsorship in place, was was obviously pretty influential on the way that your career started out, as we've noted. But um, in terms of the experience itself of being at Portsmouth, whether it's uh, particular things from the course and the way it was taught, or whether it's you know something more about the place and the experience of being a student here, was were there? things that you kind of look back on and, and, and feel they really sort of sowed the seeds for the path that you followed
2: um, I really thoroughly enjoyed my time at Portsmouth um, in terms of the course it was it was such a mixture of disciplines you know we were we were in all sorts of different um, faculties you know we did Quite a lot with the architecture faculty and then the civil and mechanical engineering faculties, you know, we, we, and loads on economics and law. Yeah. And so it was such a broad syllabus that I, and I love that, you know, I love having a general knowledge about lots of different things, which I think is a really important thing as a consultant to be able to bring. A lot of critical thinking and a knowing a bit about lots of things is yeah. very helpful. Yeah. It gives you a good direction, you know, a good problem-solving toolkit. Um, and so I really liked how broad it was and that it didn't purely focus on sciences. You know, like I say, that really strong focus on economics and on law and policy. For me, cemented it because then I could see the context of what I was learning it wasn't just about the environmental sciences and the engineering sciences it was about why is this important what's the background and how can we apply what we've learned which I don't know because I don't work in education you know and I, I haven't followed courses at all but that to me has definitely provided me with a really good um, rounded view going into industry of where I fit and where my skills fit.
1: Yeah good to hear it and I think that's very much what you know that's still very much the philosophy of what the university tries to do it's uh, it's always been uh, a university that's very strongly focused around applied learning whether it's whether it's the research or the taught courses it's it's there's always been a heavy emphasis and I think always will be a heavy emphasis on on knowledge that maps well onto skills uh you know that, that that translates really well into being able to go out and do things in the world um and you know certainly speaking to um to 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 alumni like you like yourself uh there's there's an awful lot of people out there in the world who really are making a difference and um yeah I mean it's been it's been absolutely fascinating hearing hearing what you've you've been up to in the last couple of decades it's uh really exciting and uh, there's an awful lot uh left to do clearly which it sounds like you're going to be uh, you're going to be continuing to play um really quite a, a an important part in changing what our world looks like and uh, what our workplaces feel like which is uh, which is fab so thanks Georgia thank you so much for your time really enjoyed Oh, your my team. pleasure yeah my
2: pleasure thank you
0: Georgia's work has the potential to be integral to a post-COVID world where interior spaces must be reimagined. I'm excited to hear what she does next. Thanks for listening to this episode of Making Waves. You can find more inspiring interviews with University of Portsmouth alumni by subscribing to this series on your podcast app. And if you'd like to get involved and make some waves of your own, Let us know by emailing alumni at port.ac.uk or click on alumni from the Portsmouth homepage.